Welcome to a special edition of Wilderness Tracks, recorded live at the Kendall Mountain Festival. In each episode of Wilderness Tracks, a different writer, artist or musician tells me about six pieces of music that somehow connect them with the natural world. Buff Wally's a theatre maker, writer and passionate fell runner, but he's best known as one of the founding members of Chumbawamba. He joined me on stage in Kendall early on the Sunday morning of the festival, before heading off to one of the many other creative projects he inevitably has on the go at any given point in time. He is, as ever, keeping busy. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you're an incredibly busy man. Obviously, it feels like that's the kind of thing you say to someone where uh, they do loads of things, but none of it's particularly impressive, but it's just brilliant that you're so busy. It's lovely that you're keeping busy. You're keeping busy. <laughs> you're keeping yourself busy. Yeah. But, but nonsense, it's, it's amazing stuff. You've got yeah. these fabulous projects that kind of pull off the trick of being genuinely interested in their own right and fully engaged in all sorts of different, on all sorts of different levels with all sorts of different things that are going on. Yeah, yeah, I'm just really enjoying Because it, it's funny, because when I was in the band all those years, you, you, you kind of had to keep your focus on it. And then since that went, it was like, great, what can I do now? You know, it's like a, like a ball in a pinball machine, just thinking, oh, I'll try that. Oh, I'll have a go at that. That, sounds, that looks had, good. Had you been itching to do that in those years? I'd probably been itching to write, but, um, you know, I'd never worked in theatre or... I'm doing stuff with uh, Welsh National Opera at the moment, and I think the idea, you know, like 15 years ago, if you'd have said to me, oh, you're going to be doing some, you know, working with opera singers and with classical quartets, I would think you are... You are having a laugh, mate. Would you have loved the prospect? Would you have relished the prospect? I probably would, yeah. Because I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Real, it's a total challenge. I, you know, you do this thing where you walk into a situation thinking, ooh, not sure if I can do that. And that's brilliant. I mean, you know, because as you get older, you, you, you fall into these things of just doing what you know you can do. Yeah. Don't you? Because it's, it's nice. safe. Yeah, because it's safe, yeah. And people like routine, don't they, and all that sort of thing. And if there's one thing that, that you know, fell running gave me, it's the idea that um, you don't stick to the path. I know that's a really easy metaphor, but, it, but it's true. Yeah, it's a good one. Even, even where, I li- where I live, I go running around that area just about every day, and I still will run along somewhere and think, oh, I've never been up that way, and just leave the path and go up just scramble up, a, you know, through a forest and think, oh, this is interesting. I won't come this way again because it's too hard. But, yeah, you just try different things, don't you? There's another thing I spotted on your website. It was a, a quote from Thoreau, how vain it is to sit down to write when you've not stood up to live. Yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? What, what do you take from that? What do you think it's about? Well, I had a big Thoreau um, period, a big obsession for a while. And... Uh, because, you know, he did a thing where he went, basically went and lived in, in the woods for a year yeah. with, with, with hardly anything, just like this little self-built cabin. And um, I went up to visit it. And when I went up there, I was kind of a little bit sceptical because I knew that he was, he was quite near a town. And I thought, well, you know, he could, like, nip into his, you know, maybe not Tesco, but he could, like, he nip in. He wasn't that far away from the shops, was it, yeah. in truth? And he, and he had benefactors. He had people who were, like, looking after him and made sure he was all right. But um, So I went up there and visited this, this place um, where he'd lived for a year in the, in the wilds. And uh, when I got there, there was a, a blizzard, you know, in, in, in kind of northern United States, up, up there near uh, Vermont kind of area. Blizzards are really blizzards. I, I only went to, I was going to stay a night and then 
go back, but I ended up being there three days because there was no, you couldn't drive anywhere. It was absolutely, you know, snowbound. And to get to the place where his cabin was, uh, I thought, oh, I'll be able to go running. You couldn't run. It was, you know, like two and a half foot of snow. So I trudged through this snow to get to this, this tiny cabin well, where it was and this pond which was all frozen over and it was it was incredibly bleak and and it, i just thought okay yeah he, he meant it this is this would be hard work doing this and and how have you how do you kind of carry that into your life in terms of the stuff that you do do does that keep fueling your own enthusiasm yeah yeah it does i love i love like reading about these people and being inspired by people who who were just mavericks who did interesting things you know when I was, uh, I must have been about 16, when um, Sex Pistols uh, came on our telly, our living room telly in, in, in Burnley, in Lancashire. And the first words, it was the first ever appearance on TV. And Johnny Rotten just grabs hold of the mic and shouts, get off your arse, before they launch into Anarchy in the UK or whatever. And I didn't understand it. I didn't get the music. I just, it was just alien to me. But just that thing that he shouted that on, on a television in my front room, I just thought, that's what I want to do. I want to be weird like that. <laughs> you know, what an ambition, but it's true. I just thought, you know, if you can just make an effort to do something a bit unusual, it just keeps you on the ball, keeps you, keeps you thinking. Keeps you interested. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, so we've got these six songs... Uh, six pieces of music. First up is Blackbird, um, written by Paul McCartney, performed by the Beatles, nineteen sixty-eight, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, why have you chosen it? Um, it's one of my favourite songs of all time, and it's one of, and one of the reasons I like. I mean, I love it. It's just beautiful melody. It's beautifully played. It's so simple. It's got a lovely kind of recorded Blackbird on it, which is from like a BBC Sound Archives LP. And so I've always loved the song anyway, but then when, you know, I, was, I must have been some time during the 1980s when I found out that when he, he was kind of given an interview and he talks about how it was about the civil rights movement, I had no idea. And I, I just thought, it was, oh, it's really lovely. It's about the blackbird finding its voice and everything. And then when he said it was about the civil rights movement, which was going on in 1968, and it was about Martin Luther King and the, the protests in America, and I just thought, that's the power of, of music to be able to do make a song that's so simple and beautiful and and that it has this incredibly big political meaning Blackbird singing in the dead of night Take these broken wings and learn to fly All your life You were only waiting for this moment to arrive It's great, isn't it? It's perfect I was reading also that him and George Harrison, because it, it's based, the music, the guitar piece is based on Bach. And so oh, him and George Harrison in their teenage years yeah. would do it as a kind of party piece. Oh. For, uh, they'd go around Liverpool yeah. and, um, and afternoon parlours and yeah. play it. And so, oh, nice. Um, yeah. Uh, but what I'm very interested in is there's a kind of combination there of the natural world and a, a joyousness there and a celebration of this, this bird and its simple song, this simply beautiful song, and politics. And that's absolutely the heart of what you do as well. You, I've known about your political allegiance for, for decades, but I, I wasn't aware until more recently how passionate you are about the natural world. Mm. Has that always been there? Has fell running 
opened that up to you or you've always been kind of passionate about getting outdoors? No, I think fell running opened it up to me. I think one of, one of the things, that, one of the kind of bugbears is that what we're doing is we're bringing up a generation of children especially. We're teaching people about the environment by teaching them about things like recycling and, and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and about um, waste and consumerism and you know, switching the light off so that you don't, you know, saving electricity. But what, but what, we, what we kind of should be doing more is just getting kids out into the woods and onto the moors. Because when I, I only got into fell running quite late on, it was like in the, in the late 80s. And I, you know, I lived in Leeds I didn't even know that you could kind of... I didn't know all the little paths and trails that you could use to get out of Leeds and escape and find all these spaces. And once I'd, re- I'd discovered fell running, it just opened up a, a whole world of, of understanding about nature and the land and landscape and land ownership. You know, I think a lot of people are stuck in towns and cities who don't have a... What I'm saying is like a visceral, a, a physical connection, and then you get it. And I didn't get that till quite late. I, I certainly didn't have it when I was a kid. So it's actually putting foot to the floor and yeah. the feel of it against your, your skin on. That's exactly what it is. There's sometimes there's a, a more Ilkley Moor near, really near to where I live. And sometimes you can be up there um, or any other number of moors all over the country and, and you can be you can look round and you can think this is this I could be here four or five hundred years ago and it would look the same. You know, once we'd kind of deforested a lot of the, the places, it's, it's, it's the, that elemental thing of just you and landscape, it's, it's unchanging, it's brilliant, it's, it's such an, a, a great feeling. And you are rooted to it by having your feet kind of stuck in the mud, basically. You've done so much, and so much of what you do is about community and the, the idea of the commons and, and people coming together to do something. Yeah. Not with a view to kind of promoting an individual's kind of wealth or whatever it might be, celebrity. It's always been about, uh, like, the collective effort. Mm. There's, but there's this kind of single-mindedness about fell running. You're out there on, on your own most often. Yeah. How are the two kind of married up for you? Maybe, maybe it's good to have the, the single-minded on-your-own stuff to balance against the community stuff. I don't know. Because I think that... Because when I first joined a, a fell running club... Um, I was aware that, that what happened is that you, you, like three or four days a week, you're on your own, you know, in the middle of, you know, woods and forests and moors. And then for a couple of days, you're with a big bunch of people and you're all, and you, you're not taking much notice of the surroundings and you're all talking and having a good laugh. And so maybe it's, it's good to have both. Yeah. When you're out and about, when you're running, do you listen to music? Would you be listening no. to the Beatles? As, no. You know, you, you just... No, I've never done that. I did try it. I did a thing where I was, I was chopping wood and I chopped through my wrist and severed the tendons and ligaments and everything in my arm. And I, basically I couldn't run for about eight months. And I thought, what am I going to do? And I, they gave me these special drugs which were to kind of knit the tendons and nerves back together. And it meant that I just never slept. I was awake all night. So I'd get up at three, two or three, four o'clock in the morning and just go for a walk up on the, up on the hill and everything. I just kind of discovered a, <clears throat> a, a different way of dealing with nature and thinking, oh, you don't have to put shorts on and go for a run and treat it as a challenge. You can just go and wander in it and, not, not, and, you know, and kind of lose yourself. But I thought, 
I'll try listening to music because I've never done that. And I did about two days of listening to music and it, I found it really, what's the word? It was uh, disorientating. Yeah. I, I thought, well, I'm just somewhere else now. I'm, I'm listening to this music and I, I don't need to be on this hillside. And it felt, it didn't feel right, no. I've nothing against people who do listen to music. I think it's great. Some people, there's a, there's a group called um, Punk, Punk Running, are they called? Running Punks. And they, um, there's the guy who runs it, um, I think Jimmy Watkins, is it? He's a brilliant runner, and he, uh, he does uh, album reviews while he's running. So he has headphones in, and he records himself going, <sighs> right, oh, this is a banging track. Quite a niche Obviously, approach. Yeah, because you can't hear the track. You just hear him discussing it. Oh, this is really getting me going. Oh, I'm loving this one. What a great intro. That's brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. I love that. I love yeah. that. I'm curious, though, because when you said you'd severed the tendons in your arm and your first thought seems to have been, oh, crap, I can't go fell running, rather than, oh, crap, I can't play the guitar. Yeah, yeah. At that point, I fell running taken over as your kind of primary... Enthusiasm, man. Well, I've, I've, as I've got older, I've realised that, that I, can, I can get by in life without playing guitar. Um, so for a, when I couldn't play guitar, I was, so I've, I, I, I'm kind of I'm part of running this choir, a big choir of like 60, 70 people. And when I couldn't play guitar, I just started writing songs in my head uh, a cappella yeah. without without thinking what are the chord structures going on behind it. And that was really useful for me. It was really yeah. good, really good kind of musical uh, lesson. And I thought, yeah, I don't need a guitar to, to write songs or do whatever it is I want to do. Whereas running, I need it. You know, when lockdown happened... Yeah, yeah. You know, it, brilliant, you know, spending time with your family and all that sort of thing and playing games and everything. But getting out for an hour on your own... Just Clearing to, your head. Yeah, was so important. It's a proper mental health thing, isn't it? I think it would. I think it's really good for. I think it would be good for a lot of people to to have that uh, space in a day yeah. to, to get out. Uh, speaking of space, we're going to squeeze another song into the limited space we've got. Uh, mm. It's not a song as a piece so much as a piece of music. Uh, let's hear it first. See if you can guess what it is. <laughs> Just hearing that, I, you see, I wouldn't have said that's Philip Glass just from, from that. It doesn't sound to me yeah. straight off the bat like it's Philip Glass. But it is indeed yeah. Philip Glass from the film. You can, you can pronounce this one. Koyanis Katsi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good. Uh, from, the, from the early 90, 1982, I've got written down here. Right. Um, go on, why have you picked this? How does this... Because for those who don't know, the, the film is this... In, it's a phenomenal thing whereby you just there's no narrative as such you just see these incredible shots of landscape uh, cityscapes wilderness people in movement fast forwarded it's a, an absolute spectacle how does this kind of connect is it the film or the music that connects you with with the natural world through this it's the film it's the fact that it it's kind of because it Koyaanisqatsi an old uh, Hopi Indian 
uh, phrase and it means um, life out of balance. And it was just the idea that you can make a kind of 90 minute film without any dialogue, no talking in it, no characters, no, no acting. And it just tells the story of how we're, we're just wrecking the earth through consumerism and through overwork and and it starts with this beautiful you know the landscapes are, are incredible and slowly everything speeds up and you start seeing you know New York and, and Tokyo city centers as you said all speeded up and and the madness of it and just that sell 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 stuff and it had a real impact on me yeah and um and it's funny because that was quite a long time before the environmental for environmentalism became a, a, a really big issue but it, it really made me think about it. I kind of thought, yeah, we are. We're, we're messing up really badly here. And to, to be able to make a piece of art that, that kind of describes that in that beautiful way, I just was amazing. And actually, the Philip Glass, when you, when you get into the cityscapes and his music starts becoming more yeah. electronic rather than the kind of uh, the organ sounds there yeah. and the speed of it and the repetition of it, it's, it's yeah. overwhelming, isn't it? It is. I, and I, I went to uh, I went to London because he came. In, in, must have been in the uh, must be about ten years ago now. He, he came and, and performed it to the film. Wow! And it, there was a, it, what it was was about I think it was about eight pianos on stage, electric pianos, and uh, and he was one of them. And they were just all and the film was up behind them. And they were all just playing along to it. It was Brilliant. absolutely amazing. Yeah. So that, even at that early stage, because you were very very political from the off. But did that reframe your kind of sense of what politics might be about, rather than just kind of, I guess, class war, you know, having to reconsider where environmentalism might fit in? Yeah, it absolutely did, yeah. Yeah, and fell running did that as well. It made me really aware of uh, what people are doing to the land and who owns it and why, what, how, how people had to struggle for, for the right to, for us to, to run over it and all that sort of thing. Because I've always been like one of the, you know, I've always overthought things and, you know, in a <laughs> maddening way. But, um, you know, it's like I, as soon as you find out about the, like the kinder mass trespass, for instance, in 1932, and you think, of course, yeah, all this land, you know, in, include, including most of the Pennines, for instance, you couldn't walk over it. You couldn't actually just go for a walk in the Peak District. And you think it's only 1932 that that we won the right to walk over the Pennines and over the Peak District. That seems really, really, you know, it's not that long ago, really. And you think, how on earth did people get away with fencing all that off and getting, and stopping us doing that? But then, I think you've worked with Nick Hayes, haven't you? The, the guy who wrote the... No, I've, I've, I've talked to him, I've done an right. interview with him, yeah. So he wrote the book of... Trespass. He's not my mate. No, right, <laughs> okay, okay. But, but reading that book a couple of years ago when that came out, realising that, <laughs> it still applies. Yeah, there's so much of, yeah. of England in particular. Yeah. That book, that book's great. Oh, it is because it's lovely that you know. Obviously, he knows the history and he talks about you know ownership and all that sort of thing. But the fact that each chapter involves him climbing over a wall, getting involved, and doing, <laughs> yeah. actually acting, having arguments trespass. with yeah. with you know with gamekeepers and swimming in rich people's moats. I just think brilliant. Anyway, this talk of trespass leads us into a song that you can actually perform yeah. rather than a, a clip. So if you want to grab your guitar, yeah. tendons mended. Yeah, I was wary about whether this would be allowed. Whether it would, like, break... Crushing the format. Break your lovely... Sunday uh, morning, nobody's going to notice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can chop this bit out. Anyway. <laughs> um, What's oh, the song called? 
It's called uh, These Hills Are Ours. And it's um, uh, myself and uh, Dan Bai, who's a theatre maker. Uh, we do this theatre show where we, we basically talk about running, long-distance running over the countryside. But, along, you know, when you do uh, a long run, and you, you, it's like your thoughts start wandering and you start thinking about all the things that running is, is about, you know, escape and landscape and, and connection to nature and all that sort of thing. And this is, this is one of the songs from it, that's all. Um, Shall I just launch into it? Launch away. Okay. There's a timeline in the Pennines And it's scribbled in the mud It's the path of most resistance with a history told in studs You can keep your squares and statues You can keep your ivory towers You can keep your four-lane highways But these hills are ours These hills are ours We have a born right to roam These hills are ours from boundary stone to boundary stone When we're up on the horizon It feels like coming home These hills are ours These hills are ours Wipe the muck from your shoes As you take the witness stand for there are boundaries in the courtroom Just like the boundaries on the land When the clack comes down on bleak low What use your privilege and power We'll mow the lawns of your estate But these hills are ours These hills are ours we have a born right to roam These hills are ours From boundary stone to boundary stone When we're up on the horizon It feels like coming home These hills are ours These hills are ours These hills are ours Thank you. Thank you. It's a beautiful song, and I'm thinking uh, about politics and music and art. You know, you've been making music and art about political issues for so long. How effective do you think it is in changing things? Or is it about just galvanising the spirits of those who are already engaged? What's it, what's it doing? How's it playing out? Well, I think, I think at the moment, it's, it, yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. I think it is at the moment, it's about galvanising the the people who who kind of share your ideas because i think it's i think we're in a really weird time at the moment where there's so much division going on that it feels like i feel like it's the job of art to uh to celebrate and support people who are who are on our side basically rather than just kind of you know slagging off people whose views you don't agree with feels like a time to to bolster up what we've got uh, but but in terms of, of whether it works or not, 
But my, my thing was, I, you know, I was brought up in Burnley in a religious household and, um, and I was basically a racist and homophobic just as a matter of course from a small town in Lancashire and never, it didn't enter my head to be anything else until, um, until punk came along and I went to a gig in Manchester which was a Rock Against Racism gig kind of really early on and um, they were handing out badges on the door, Rock Against Racism and Anti-Nazi League. And I wouldn't take one. I just thought, no, I'm not having that. I don't, I'm not into that kind of crap. Yeah. And, uh, and I was, you know, I've, I've still got cassettes of like little comedy sketches that I used to do when I was at school. And they, they're awful. You know, I was, it was you know, really horrible uh, racist stuff. And, um, and then so... I, Hang on, I, we're going to have to cancel this now. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Carry on. But then shortly after that, um, I remember, like literally weeks after that gig, of where I wouldn't take the badge, I remember, I remember thinking, hang on, all the people whose music I'm suddenly listening to, you know, like the, the Clash and the Jam and, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. X-Ray Specs, they're all cool and they've all got really, they, they all think this. And I just thought, I'm, it's me that's the, the idiot here. I'm siding with the, the kind of, you know, the idiots and, the, and all the cool people are into... And I kind of, it, it twigged, it just, I just thought, of course, of course I want to be like Joe Strummer, because he's cool and he's, you know, and he's, he's anti-racist and, you know, and I'm, you know, why should I follow this kind of religious thing that I've been brought up on? And it changed my mind, it completely changed my mind, and that was music. And so now whenever people say, oh, you know, music and politics, does it, you know, is it, does it do anything? I always think, well, it changed me, and that's enough, that's enough of an argument for me. It reminds me also of the anecdote about uh, you, you set up a, 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 a pretend skinhead oi band. Yeah, we did, yeah. And, <laughs> and you managed to get one of your songs onto a compilation made by Gary Bushell yeah. of oi bands who were kind of far-right screwdriver kind of bands. Yeah, yeah. And what were the lyrics to that song again? It, it, it was just the words, I'm thick, 64 times. Because <laughs> we, sent, we sent them a demo of, what, of the song that we were going to do, which was, I can't remember, it was just, you know... Um, <laughs> you know, I'm English and I'm proud or something. I can't remember what it was, I have no idea. And they, they said, great, and they booked this studio in London. We went down to London and then we went in the studio and we sang, I'm thick, I'm thick. And the, the guy, it was one of the, the, one of the guys producing it was from the Cockney Rejects and he said, uh, he said, is, is that the song that you sent then for Gary? And we're like, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, all right, okay then, okay. And they, they just put it out. It was brilliant. I mean, <laughs> yeah. comedy's got a role though, hasn't it? But... I think, because I think one of the, one of my formative things was growing up with Monty Python. Yeah. Just that anti, anti-establishment way of poking fun at everyone, I think is, is brilliant. Through silliness, as much as yeah. we can. So it's not bile, is it? It's, it's silliness. Yeah, but, but also, I think nowadays there are, so like people like Stuart Lee. Yeah. I think a lot of the, clever politics in art is coming from comedy yeah rather than from music music can tend to be quite pole-faced about it and that's whereas... the thing so and then back to the environment in terms of like you're saying i want to be joe strummer yeah I'll, it'd be great if we had the equivalent yeah in the kind of environmental space i know chris martin's talking a lot about it but yeah i'm not sure how many people want to be chris martin really i know compared to i'm not slagging him off at all it's easy to yeah. pop at him but it's harder to imagine the clash or the the pistols in this current context yeah it is but i think that like for instance with greta thunberg i think the fact that you've got this like teenage girl being you know the poster girl for yeah. I just, it's lovely I love yeah. it. there's these these artists that we know called sandy in your eye in uh, calder valley 
in Yorkshire, and they, they, they in, 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 in collaboration with a, a school, a primary school, they, they're in t the school playing field, they did a huge uh, mural of Greta Thunberg on the floor, and then you can only see it like from a, a drone. Yeah, yeah. And it's just brilliant. And then they, all the kids from the school all stand around it and form part of this picture. And I just thought, it's great, these kids are growing up with this hero yeah. that's like them. Yeah. You know, in the way, that's their Joe Strummer. Uh, right, we best move on to the next track, which, which is just a beauty. Uh, it's Raining by Irma Thomas. Can we have a clip, please? It's obviously about rain, but why did yeah. you pick it for wilderness tracks? Um, well, I love rain for one thing. I think again, one of the things that, that fell running taught me was was not to be scared of of rain. There's some lovely songs about rain. In fact, I wanted to write a book about rain, but I, publishers weren't interested, especially about Northern English rain because it, it feeds in so much to the kind of Beatles, Smiths, Joy Division thing, but also you know the whole you know Shakespeare's full of rain and I do, it's just such a powerful you know natural thing but the reason I love that song is because um we were touring in America we were doing like a, I think about a five or six week tour in a, a minibus all just trekking around America and uh halfway around I met um Casey who is now my partner and um and uh, I, I basically fell in love overnight and then and then said Right, we're off now, we're off for another three weeks. And so I was in this bus driving through Texas and all that sort of thing. And, and that song was kind of on my headphones, looking out the window at night while you're just driving, like literally doing like six, 700 mile drives. And, and uh, I just thought the power of, you know, that natural force and music combined and how it, it kind of feeds into like because like love is this incredible emotion you don't you and you can you can feel it whether you fall in love with someone or you can be like I said sometimes like if you can be on the middle of a moor on your own and you get such a strong visceral feel of of this is this is my landscape and this is nature and this is what it's about rather than intellectualizing about it you know I mean and, and not theorizing about it it's um, there's a there's a theory called pantheism. I don't know if do you know about that. And it's 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 basically that it, it's it's kind of that you believe that the, the deity is nature yeah. and all of us, and therefore it means that we're all responsible for everything. And John John Muir, who's you know great environmentalist, he his quote was was I'm paraphrasing. You know, if you pull on anything in the ground, uh, you're pulling on everything in the universe. It's connected to everything in the universe. And that, that song is one of those songs that makes me think that. I just think, yeah, the power of just feeling heartbroken and rain, it's just, it's universal. Everyone thinks, yep, I get that feeling. Does, uh, those uh, backing vocals just going, drip, yeah. drop, the, drip, I read, drop. Uh, in preparing for this, I read up on it, and uh, Alan Toussaint, who's the, who wrote it, a famous producer yeah. down in Louisiana, she was actually there 
when um, at the piano, as and they were they were doing stuff and they were playing around, and yeah. it started to rain, and he wrote the song while she was standing there. And he said, brilliant. it just fits you like a gown, this song. Really? I thought, oh, that's, that's good. brilliant, yeah. But I, I, I love what you say about, about rain and music and, and place. There's, I can't remember the name of the author, an academic, brilliant old expert on Manchester music, but he had a book called Shake, Rattle and Rain. Oh, yeah. It's worth publishing just for the, yeah. just for the name. It's uh, C.P. Lee. C.P. Lee, that's the fact. used to be in the Albertos. <laughs> that's were, right, yeah. yeah. And no. they, were, they were a comedy band. He died recently, actually. Oh, did he? He did, yeah. Yeah, it was really sad. No, yeah, an amazing man, yeah. yeah. He was yeah. kind of one of my idols. I never met him, but... Uh, I love the vision of you in a, in a van going across Texas on a 700-mile <laughs> yeah. journey with your headphones on listening yeah. to this song <laughs> and presumably wondering when you'd next see your beloved again. Yeah, yeah. And having no idea whether, whether she was interested in me either. So that was really, really strange time. Yeah. It was a long journey, I bet, bloody hell. <laughs> it was, yeah. Because, of course, in those days, you, you know, you, you, you get back and then you realise you, 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 type, you type write a letter and send it off and then it gets there four or five days later and then you wait four or five days and you get a typewritten letter back and... It's not like the internet. <laughs> anyway, right, moving on to the next song, because we are rattling along through time. Uh, the next song... Right, OK. It's raining, the drip drop. I totally get that, obviously, where that fits into Wilderness Tracks. This next one, not so much. Can we have a, a clip, and then you can explain your, your thinking? So, yeah. it's, I mean, it's, it's a classic. Uh, it what on earth has it got to do with, with the natural world and how does, it, how does it connect you to it? Well, when, when I first heard about this, you know, this thing that you do and connecting songs to the natural world, I, I, I kind of thought, OK, which songs do I like that connect? And this image came straight into my head and, it, and, and I just thought, oh, I, can't, I can't use that. But then I thought, no, why not? And what it is is that, is that we, me and a couple of mates, we went on a camping trip to uh, Ingleton and we were up, up near Ingleton Falls and we were just camping not on a campsite just kind of on we just find a field somewhere and we used to listen to John Peel on the transistor radio it was like, like nine or ten o'clock at night and that song came on we were in this tent three of us in this little tent in a field in Ingleton and one of us said we've got to dance so we jumped out of the tent and we would just <laughs> dance around this field and it just felt like the right thing to do. Because I would never heard it before. It was just on this tiny radio. Just thought, what a song. That's a great song. And we were just like dancing to this song. And then, you know, got in, back in the tent and went to bed. <laughs> but I just thought that's, I love that because it's, it's two worlds that kind of shouldn't really, they shouldn't really meet. But really they do. And now when you listen to the song, is that indelibly connected? Yeah, absolutely. You can kind of smell the grass and yeah, feel the completely. dusk. I was having this conversation yesterday with someone where we were saying that uh, even though as you get older, you, you know, your memory, you know, starts disappearing, but you can be somewhere, you can go for a run somewhere that you went for a run maybe like literally 20 years ago and you can be somewhere on that run and you can remember the conversation that you were having as you passed a certain gate. You think, oh, this is where we were talking about, you know, shoes or, 
You know, it can be completely inconsequential. And I love that. It's, it's, and actors do it. You know, instead of just learning lines by looking at a script, if you connect it with a movement, then you remember it. You remember it. And I think that's what we do all the time when you're outside and you're walking or running or whatever you do. You're building up this great bank of memories. It's lovely. And they, they are kind of like pegs, aren't they, that kind of hold down your past and your identity in a way. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah, you're right. There's something about music, though, there not it, that, that, that gets to the heart of the matter and to your heart more immediately, perhaps, than any other artistic form, isn't there? And your story there reminds yeah. me of the, like, the famous John Peel story where he was listening to... He heard Teenage Kicks for the first time on his, and he was listening to the radio and he's kind of had to pull over because the force yeah. of it was so much. He, yeah, yeah. He couldn't breathe. He was crying and... Yeah, yeah. It was just so powerful. <laughs> and uh, brilliant, yeah. And... And I can imagine that you've, you've, you've rarely felt as alive as you did in those two and a half, three minutes when you were jumping around. Yeah, a, a that's theater. what it is, yeah. It's kind of recognising in, in the moment that... Because it, it's quite hard to... As you're growing up, you, you, you don't realise at first, but it's quite hard to, to recognise happiness in the moment. You tend to always think, those, that was a good holiday, or that was a good... You know, I enjoyed that. Yeah. As opposed to it being in the moment and going, look at this, this is great, isn't it? We, we don't have those conversations enough, I don't think, really. And, and do, you, do you find it easier or harder to do that as you get older? Well, I find it easier because I've kind of taught myself to do it. Because once I realised it, I kind of thought, I've got, to, I've got to remind myself to do that. To be somewhere and be able to go, look at this, look at, look at where I am, look at what I'm doing. What's your process there? What, do you physically stop? If you're running, do you kind of physically stop and go, right... This is the training that I've done. This is what I'm going to do to, to make sure that I kind of nail this memory. No, no, I just... But, I, but I will stop. And, and I've said this to a couple of people. I've said, do you ever, like, get to the middle of a run and you're, like, somewhere and you're on your own and you just, you just stop and you just think, I'm just going to shout at the top of my voice or I'm just going to sing a line or something at the top of my voice. And people go, no. <laughs> and I think, all right, it's just me then. But, yeah, I sometimes do that. And I, some, I, I do... I'm not going to say it now but I sometimes swear just because it's because I'm not I'm not one to swear a lot I don't usually swear just because I just think you know it's a bit it's a bit too easy as a way of expressing yourself and because I've got children and that so I've learned not to but to be able to to be in the middle of of a landscape and just to swear really loudly at the world is brilliant what I shout is I shout F you all and just think it's just the power of being somewhere that's, that's, you know, like elemental and natural and it's great. A big grin on your face as you say that and you, I'm thinking about all, all the politics that's infused your life. By now, are you more driven by joy or anger? Uh, I'm really angry at the moment. Not actually now on no, Sunday No, too morning. early. <laughs> no, I'm not angry with you. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> um... I, I, can't, I, think I, I, can't, I think I kind of thought that the world... Because, you know, I've been... I'm quite a positive person. And I thought the world was getting better. Yeah. And it is getting better, really. Yes. But these past few years have just been pretty depressing in terms of... Um, you know, I, I do... I've, I've got a couple of projects that I'm working on at the moment with, that working with refugees and asylum seekers. And no matter how comfortable my life is, I have to look at what they're going through and what they're dealing with in terms of legalities and trying to avoid being sent back to countries which, where they were being, you know, persecuted. And uh, I think, what are, we, 
what have we come to? What, how can we be so vindictive and selfish? And, and it does, it gets me really angry. So I have to think, that's just one side of things, and there's a lot of things that are a lot better. When I, when I was a kid, stuff like, you know, racism and sexism and homophobia, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was awful. It was rife, yeah. Things have got so much better. So I, I always think, let's balance the anger with some hope. So you believe in progress? Yeah, if yeah. Even if it's partial? Yeah. I'm reading, there's a book called, I don't know if you've read it, called Humankind. No. Rutger, forgotten. Anyway, and, and it's brilliant. It's just basically saying, yeah, things are bad, but actually things are a lot better than we think they are. And that humans' uh, instinct, which is, I've, I've always thought this anyway, but it's, it's really nice to read it uh, as a kind of academic thing with lots of documentary backup. Humans are intrinsically nice and we are communal and we do want to help each other but it's just that we're taught to be horrible to each other and we you know and there are things like um this book's full of statistics like uh in, even in the second world war the amount of soldiers on all sides i think it is that were killed by bullets by being killed by someone with a rifle was 11 percent everyone else was killed by you know shells and by invisible things because people don't like actually killing each other and that most soldiers returned from the war and said i never killed anyone it was like a big thing they they kind of admit i never actually pointed my gun at anyone and it's really nice to see those statistics and think yeah, yeah we're not actually murderous although you'd look at the government and think possibly we are like all selfish but yeah so i, I like to read stuff which makes me think good about the world rather than getting angrier and angrier speaking of things that are good about the world this next track i'd not heard this before and i bloody love it um let's have a clip it's called sweet leaf of the north uh, and and it's uh, mick artistic in the intro to the song he actually t- says that it's about a trip to london and it's about this leaf that gets stuck under the the wiper blade so we'll have a clip of it well we carry the leaf all the way on the windscreen And we carried the leaf all the way on the windscreen back to Leeds We laughed at the thought that it might just make it to Leicester But it lasted to London and it hung on to Leeds Sweet leaf of the north You go back and forth a little brown star To guide us on our way Sweet leaf of the north You go back and forth A symbol of hope In a world that's cold and grey Isn't that great? It's beautiful. When, when, he, when he plays that live in Leeds, he's got a big following in Leeds, right. and uh, when he plays that song, everybody in the audience just, Sweet Leaf of the North, everybody joins in. And he has scarves that say Sweet Leaf of the North on them and stuff like that. It's great. <laughs> and presumably, I mean, it's a, I imagine it's a Leeds anthem, but it, it's, it reminds me, obviously, of, of, is it True North, the, the song that you yeah, did with, with the choirs. choir? Yeah, yeah, yeah that, which was... Again, a kind, a kind of anthem for this part of the world. Yeah. Is that, is that why you chose it? Is that 
what you were looking at there. Yeah, and I love that, because well, when we were doing that True North, like as a project with several different choirs around the North, we went round and asked lots of people what, about, what defines the North. And there are all sorts of things to do with, you know, language and attitudes and politics and all that sort of thing. But the biggest thing that everybody kind of agreed on was that the, the, the landscape of the North, even excluding Scotland, is, is just magnificent. And the Yorkshire Dales and the Lancashire Hills and the, and the Lake District, they're just incredible places to be. And no matter how hard they try, Westminster will never, will never have Scarfell Pike. And it's, you kind of think, yes, we've got that. <laughs> you can take everything away from us, but you can't take our Scarfell Pike. Do you feel more of a northerner than, than an Englishman? Yeah, Definitely. And, and mainly because uh, I think what's, what Brexit has done is made me feel, uh, kind of feel embarrassed for, for Britishness. Because all the people I know from other places in the world, they can't believe what we did. And they think, why did you do that? And I think it wasn't us. We didn't do that. You know, we, you know, I live in Leeds. We didn't vote for that. And it's not some kind of parochial, you know, look at us, aren't we great? It's more a kind of... Um, not being stuck in this kind of little bubble of, of privilege and, and being open to people coming and living here. And again, I'm doing a project at the moment about West Yorkshire. And again, one of the, one of the big things that people talk about is that West Yorkshire, like Leeds, for instance, is a city, it's an immigration, immigrant city. It's built on Irish, Jewish, you know, Afro-Caribbean. It, it's built on people from other places. And, you know, it's had its racist problems. But in general, that's what people recognise about Leeds. It's, from, it's, it's, it's built from people all over the world. And that's a really good thing. Yeah. Wilderness Tracks is produced by me, Jeff Bird, as part of the Timber Festival, which takes place in the National Forest each July. If you enjoyed this episode, there are plenty more available wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>